0: Okay, Bridge Kids, thank you for joining us. You're dismissed. And the rest of us will be in Psalm 19. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 19. The Voice. How many people have watched The Voice? An entire episode. You have, we have any weekly people? Um, it's an American reality TV show broadcast on NBC since April 2011. It's based on the, and you maybe didn't know this, based on the original TV show, The Voice of Holland. Um, the goal of the show is to find unsigned talent, you know, The Voice, the, the latest and the greatest. Uh, contestants for The Voice qualify for the show through a series of competitive auditions. Then the contestants are paired with coaches who are already professional artists. The ultimate winner of The Voice receives $100,000 and a contract with a universal music group, a recording contract. But did you know that The Voice is also... um, an international concept with TV series around the world. For example, there is the voice United Kingdom, just for United Kingdom. There is the voice of Poland. There is the voice of Holland, the voice Australia, the voice of the Philippines, the voice of Argentina, the voice of Indonesia, the voice of Russia, the voice of Ireland, the voice of Colombia, the voice of Spain, the voice of Hong Kong. And I don't know that I got them all, but there's also kids versions and teen versions in various countries of the voice. So every year the world is searching for the voice. But the good news for us, The greatest voice is found in Psalm 19, and that's why we want to look at it this morning. Psalm 119 was inspired by God and written down by David, the shepherd, who became... We're going to begin by reading uh, the first part, the first portion of Psalm 19. I am reading from the 1984 version of the NIV. I'm a little behind the times. The heavens declare the glory of God, verse 1. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth, the words to the ends of the world. In the heavens he has pitched a tent for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming forth from his pavilion, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens. And makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is hidden from its heat. So we can divide this psalm into uh, the first six verses. is going to be about the works of God. The next uh, verses 7 through 11 will be about the word of God. And then verses 12 through 14 about my response of God. And we see the message in verses 1 and 2. The heavens declare the glory of God. That's the message. The glory of God. And um, the psalmist says, it's the heavens who send this message. It's the stars and the sun and the moon. And it's about God. And they talk, the, it declares his glory. It's how great God is. It's how magnificent God is. It's how marvelous he is. It's a reminder that he is the creator. It's a reminder there's something behind this creation. He is bigger than his creation. He's all-powerful because he's the one uh, who created And guess what? He has quite an imagination and he is very creative. Verse 2, day after day they pour forth speech. There's a message that goes out from the heavens. A message declaring something about God. It's nonverbal, inaudible, with information. Loaded with truth. And mankind has studied the universe and has learned a whole lot about the universe. But it's just a small smidgen of what the universe is all about. But we know something. Um, We've learned how to fly. We've learned how to send a man to the moon because we've studied creation. We studied the heavenlies. And God is sending messages through the created order that someone bigger than all of this is here. Not everybody is listening. The Apostle Paul understood this truth in Romans chapter 1 verse 20 and the Apostle wrote, For since the creation of the world, Genesis chapter 1 verse 1, since then, God's invisible qualities, things about him, create that he can perform miracles. His eternal power that he can create, that he can perform miracles, his divine nature, he's above it all, have been clearly seen. So the Apostle Paul says, God says through his word that he has been sending out information about himself through creation have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, the creation. And now let's just make sure we include not only the heavens, but everything on earth and the animal kingdom, which includes us. Everything that's been made so that people are without an excuse. God says, I'm giving enough information that if anybody is serious about me and finding me, you can find me. Atheism would be totally illogical. And for the Apostle Paul, atheism would be totally illogical. Verses 3 through 6. But uh, let me just go on and say, knowledge of creation and seeing that there's a God behind creation. It's not enough to be saved. It's obvious. Um, but there still needs to be uh, information about how to be saved, which includes uh, who we are, who God is, and what Jesus has done for us, and then our response uh, to the true and living God by faith in Jesus. Verses 3 through 6, the extent of the voice... And so David, the psalmist, continues in verse 3, They have no speech, they use no words, no sound is heard from this voice. Uh, it's it's uh, nonverbal. We, we know that nonverbal communication is really important, don't we? It's really important. And God has been sending nonverbal communication since the beginning. Yet their voice goes into all the earth. God is sending a message. This is what God says about himself. He's been sending a message through the whole earth since the beginning. And who is listening? Who is looking? Who wants to know him? And then he gives a specific, the psalmist gives a specific example from creation. He says, in the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. God is the one who made the sun. He's just going to focus on one Uh, one part of creation in all the heavens and he picks the sun that's one that we are most aware of every day God placed the sun in our atmosphere God created the sun and God has pitched a tent for the sun it is like a bridegroom so here's a metaphor you know book of psalms is poetic it's poetry anyway And then if you read poetry, poetry is really hard for me. Sometimes it's very hard to interpret. But here's a metaphor. Uh, It is like a bridegroom. Sometimes the sun is like a bridegroom coming out of its chamber. And the idea of a bridegroom, um, there's there's a little bit of question here. Is this the bride after consummation of his marriage or before the consummation of his marriage? I don't think it makes any difference. Um, because when the bridegroom comes out of his chamber on wedding day, he's all excited about the future and the hope that he has before him. And every day the sun is like that. There's this new start, this fresh start every day, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. And so he switches metaphors and he goes to a champion. Could be an athlete, could be a soldier, uh, Someone highly trained, knows what they're going to do, and they step on their course to do it. That's what the sun does. It's circuit to the sixth, It rises at one. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. Uh, maybe you feel like it a little bit today. But we would all be dead if we didn't have the sun. Uh, The sun is steadfast, it's faithful, it's predictable, it's warm. It, it imparts growth and life and health. And that's part of God's creation. Um, what's creation like? Let's, let's, uh, let's look at, okay, who made this? Uh, three seconds. <laughs> okay. Okay. Who made these? The heavens declare the glory of God. God made this. What's behind this? Just evolution? Just we we crawled up out of the water in some primordial soup and then began to evolve? Evolve? What God has made sends a message. There is something bigger. There is a designer behind this world. There we go. God is very creative. In 1998, uh, when we were in the Madison area, I went to a very uh, significant debate on the campus of UW-Madison at the Fieldhouse. And Anthony Flew, a world-renowned atheist, was debating William Lane Craig. I was very impressed uh, to hear the whole thing. Uh, Those are the kinds of things that really excited me back in my, my college days. Of course, I was on the side of atheism back in those days. Um, But at the age of 81, the atheist Anthony Flew changed his mind. And he decided that atheism was not uh, what he would believe. Dr. Gary Habermas, a prolific Christian philosopher and historian, also debated Flew on several times, several occasions, and then they maintained a friendship, even though they had significant disagreement about the existence of God. In 2004, Habermas interviewed Flew after he changed his viewpoint. Habermas asked good question. Flew answered, I think the most impressive arguments for God's existence are those that are supported by recent scientific discoveries. I think the argument to intelligent design is enormously enormously stronger than when I first met it. Now, there's somebody who didn't want to believe it and spent their life trying to refute it and then realized that there was a message that there was something about this that showed there was a designer behind the design of the universe. He died in 2010 at the age of 87. We don't know at all that he came to faith in Christ, but he was budging and moving slowly. So God is sending a message. That's the silent voice of God. But what about the verse seven through 11? The psalmist is saying, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, Enduring forever, the ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. By them your servant is worn, and keeping them there is great reward. Let's have a look. The verbal voice of God. The written word of God. Description. God's word is perfect. The law of the Lord is Perfect. So the psalmist is going to use several d- different descriptors here that speak of God's word in the Old Testament, the law of the Lord. That's where he starts. The Torah, it means instruction by application. Um, w- obviously, this a thousand years the testament had been written yet. However, by application, it is fair to apply it now for us for all the Bible. God's word. God's word is perfect. There are no flaws, no mistakes, no errors, no faults. It's refreshing the soul. God's word refreshes my soul. It revives my soul. That's a benefit. God's word revives my soul. This, uh, it may be fairly translated uh, as well that God's Word converts the soul. It has the power to convert the soul, to change. God's Word has the power of transformation. My story, first 25 years of my life I was headed in this direction and I found atheism in that part and I got to experience quite a bit of sin, way more than I wished I had. And then I encountered Jesus Christ through His Word And the gospel of salvation and the opportunity to be forgiven of my sins and to place my faith in Jesus who died for me. And slowly my life began to change and I headed on a new course. God's word has the power to convert my soul. And I'm grateful that it did. It has the power to transform. Uh, After I become a follower of Christ... It has the power to continue to change me, to help me to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Also in verse 7, description, God's word is trustworthy, the statutes of the Lord. Again, statutes refer to God's word. They are trustworthy. They are reliable. We can count on them. They are always true, always right, trustworthy. And they make wise the simple. And that's my benefit. Um... God's word makes me a smarter person. Is the God's word brings to my life? Sometimes we know people who are very smart and have a lot of knowledge, but they're not real practical. And wisdom helps us take knowledge and put it into our lives where it's beneficial. It helps us take truth and apply it to our lives. And God's word brings this uh, wisdom. And it can make uh, a person, if we just wanted it to be... uh, It could make a person of lower intelligence very wise by just following the course. Without having an IQ of 160. Also, verse 8, description, God's word is right. The precepts of the Lord are right. They're not wrong. They're not mistaken. They're not deceptive. They're not tricky. They're just right. Giving joy, the benefit of the ex- joy to my heart. God, God's Word giving the experience. Some of you are really into experience. That's really important. It brings joy to your heart, to the inner person, to your inner circumstances. And that's what I found as an adult. What's really important? What's going on on the inside? Because if things are right on the inside, and I have confidence in God on the inside, I can deal with a lot of stuff on the outside. And life has a lot of stuff, doesn't it? But joy is something about having the inner circumstances in order, in right relationship with God. Paul says in Galatians 5.22, it's the fruit, it's the outgrowth of the work of the Holy Spirit. And we have to be connected to God's Word. My little side comment here it is impossible for you to grow apart from God's Word. It is impossible. So if you go a whole week without opening God's Word, you're kind of flatlined. Okay? You need God's Word. I need God's Word. It's designed to be an important part of our lives. Also, verse 8, the description, God's word is radiant. The commands of the Lord are radiant. They bring light on my circumstances. They give insight and discernment. Giving light to the eyes, God word, God's word brings spiritual perception. So I can see uh, from an eternal perspective. So I can see the way God sees things. Not, I'm not all-knowing, I'll never be all-knowing, but I can, I can gain much better insight on an appropriate response. The benefit it brings light into my darkness. It sheds light on my circumstances. It exposes my sin. It identifies my attitude. It sees my discouragements and disappointments, and gives me hope for the future. It brings light into my life, into my own darkness. Enduring, verse nine description. God's word is pure. The fear, a synonym, enduring forever. The fear of the Lord is a synonym for God's Word here. And the concept here, the fear of the Lord, is like it's my response to God's Word. It's my experience from God's Word. And the the proper fear of the Lord I have when I'm connected to God's Word is that I am I am submissive, I am open, I have a desire to be obedient, I am humble, and that's the fear of the Lord. My heart is... Uh, it says, uh, Enduring forever, the benefit enables me to be pure and faithful. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. Uh, when I am connected with God's Word and I am humble and pliable before Him, He's going he's to line my heart so I want to confess sin and I want to be right with Him and I'm going to be pure. Because if we confess our sins, and this is a great thing about God's Word, if you know it, Condition, if, understand the provisions God has made. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess, condition, if, we have something to do. If we confess our sins, He is faithful. God is faithful and just and will forgive us and purify us of all unrighteousness. And I can be pure, I can be clean because of God's provision. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. It enables me... When I align my heart with God's word to be pure and to be faithful, endure. God's word endures forever. And God's word builds my strength to endure. Verse 9, description, God's word is firm. The decrees of the Lord are firm. They are rock solid. Again, the decrees are God's word. They, God's word does not waver. It is rock solid thing totally reliable the benefit it leads me to and it leads. all of them are righteous god's word is righteous and it leads me to righteous living it instructs me it shows me the way the steps i should take and there's a whole lot of freedom i have in making choices in life but they need to be guided by instruction from God, like making a moral choice versus an immoral choice, or an honest choice versus, versus a dishonest choice. I have freedom, and my choices need to be guided. It strengthens me. It helps me. God's Word equips me. It fortifies me with all the spiritual vitamins that I need for righteous living. Not only does God's word have incredible benefits, it also has incredible value. Verse uh, verse 10, God's word has incredible value. The psalmist says it's more precious than have access to all kinds of material things. And we can see them and sometimes experience them. Um, Ten centuries before Christ, gold was the most valuable material thing on earth, especially would have been true in Israel where David wrote this. And David is saying, God's word is more precious than that. God's word is more precious than anything on the earth. Anything. When I was writing this, I had to stop and think, what do I think is important? What's materially important to me? And I have a, I'm, I'm a collector. I collect a lot of things. Uh, collecting, I mean, just things that came from my family. This was my granddad's. Do you, wa- you want to throw that away? Nope. You know, this was my dad's. This was my father I got everything I want apart from the family. Just little junk things and old tools. Do I want apart from them? No. I have one thing in my garage that's really important to me. And right now, it's got a cover over it. And, you know, it's important. It's not the most valuable thing I own, but it is right up there. I'd rather, you know, I'd rather have somebody break the windows in my house than put a scratch on what's under the cover. But God's Word is more important than anything that I would ever value materially. Let that sink in a minute. What is it that's important and I'm guessing you have this book. How valuable is this book? It's a matter of life and death. It's a matter of growth. He almost goes on to say it's more desirable than honey. I think he would say chocolate today. God's word, the commands of God, they are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. Now, you know, honey may not be a very big deal to you. It's not a very big deal to me. But 10 centuries before the birth of Christ, this was the most significant, tasty, delicacy known in Israel. And David is saying, God is saying, his word is more delicious, more valuable, more significant. If you just understood what to compare it with. This is greater. Which, you know, raises the question, what would we rather rather eat or read God's Word? And Jesus has suggested one way we can help with that is to take time to fast. And He doesn't command us. He just assumes that we will. He says, when you fast, do this. It's more desirable than honey. It warns me. Of harm and poor choices. By them, your servant is warned. It warns me about uh, a lot of important life issues. It warns me about sexual immorality and the danger and power of sexual sin. It warns me about lying and cheating and unfaithfulness. It warns me about f- the foolish use of money. It warns me about hell and the consequences of sin. It warns me. And then, verse 11, it leads me to a great reward in God's sight. In keeping them, the psalmist says, there is great reward. We, you know, I think a lot of us, I, I take this for granted. Believing in Jesus Christ. Embracing God's word by faith. And I have been given the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. That is a great reward. And there's an inheritance laid up for me that I can't imagine how great it is. That one day I'm going to be in an eternal kingdom where there's going to be no more crying, no more dying, there's going to be no more cancer, there's going to be no more disease. And that's an amazing reward because I don't deserve it. But believing in what God says about the Christian life... Right now, the choices I make today, there is great reward. Not necessarily here. Following Jesus, uh, day by day, there is great reward. It demonstrates, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commands. It demonstrates love for him, day by day. And one day, if you're a believer in Jesus, you'll stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And you'll know about great rewards or not there are going to be some people who get into heaven and they're going to go oh i made it and then there are going to be some people who get into heaven and god is going to reward them there's going to be rewards and it's going to be eternal and there's like no second chances lastly verses 12 through 14 we've we've seen the um, the silent voice of God and the verbal voice of God. And now, what, what about us? What is, our, what, are we, what is our reflection and response, verses 12 through 14? My reflection, verse 12, but who can discern their own errors? Uh, the writer is saying, we have a tendency to not be real accurate when we evaluate our own lives. I have a tendency, if I just humanly, without God's perspective, I think I would paint a little more positive picture a little more self-focused, a little better representation of what I'm really like. Um, with God's Word, I have an accurate view. And if I'm, um, if I if I value this on a regular basis, I have a more accurate view. Focused, when I little disconnected, not so accurate. The writer of Hebrews shows the key role. That God's word has for the believer. The writer of Hebrews says. For the word of God is alive. That's a really important concept. God's word is living and powerful. It's not just a passive old dead book. God's word is alive. That's why it changes. That's why it transforms. That's why it revives. It's alive. And active. It's going to mess with you. If you take it in you memorize it, if you read it, it's going to mess with your life. It's sharper than a double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It's like the surgeon's scalpel that can go in and remove something without harming everything else. Um, And how do you separate the soul and the spirit? Nobody knows, but God does, and he can do it with his word. And, it, and God I'm feeling, judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. It shows me what I'm thinking, what I'm feeling, what my attitude is. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him who we must give an account. You know, every once in a while, we just need to be reminded we will give an account. And it's not to, it's not to be scary. If you're a believer, it's not going to be condemnation. But... What will it be like facing Jesus? Will he be able to say, well done, you good and faithful servant. I don't know. I want to finish well. So he starts um, with a, in verse 12, my, uh, next is my response. So that's my reflection. Now my response, prayer for my forgiveness. Verse 12, forgive my hidden faults, the psalmist says. The, the psalmist is moved to ask for forgiveness. And this is for, for me and for you. This is an appropriate response as we read God's word and we see that we fall short. You don't have to beat yourself up. Just get right with God. Just agree with God and ask him for help. Prayer for victory over my daily sins. Verse 13. David is a realist. He knows he faces sin. He knows he faces temptation every day. He knows he tends to be Uh, selfish and self-promoting and he prays and he asks God for help verse 13 keep your servant also from willful sins may they not rule over me you know willful sins are those you know it just doesn't happen accidentally and you say something dumb you know better you know this is not your course this is not honoring to God and you choose it anyway He says, keep your servant from these sins. May they not rule over me. Because when sin rules over you, you're in a desperate place. I will be blameless as you keep me from willful sins. As you forgive me my sins, I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. David is saying, if God enables me, I will be able to walk the walk. Because God enables me. I can't do it on my own strength. It's because God enables me. Now he closes uh, in verse 14 and he says, This is a great prayer. Prayer for my speech and, and thought life. May the words of my mouth, my speech, my voice, and this meditation of my heart what's going on in the inside, my thoughts, my attitudes, May they be pleasing in your sight. David wants his speech and his heart attitudes to please God. He wants, to, he wants his heart and speech to match each other. And then he addresses God, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. God is David's rock. God is one that he's all, he can always count on. He's always consistent. Um, God is always truthful. He's always just. He's always fair. He always keeps his promises. The Lord is David's rock. Would you say God is your rock? Can you count on him? And then David calls God his redeemer He recognizes God is the one who's made provision for him. He doesn't deserve to have a relationship with him. He doesn't deserve to have eternal life. He doesn't deserve to be blessed. He doesn't deserve to have his sins forgiven. He knows God is the one who's taken care of it for him. And we have that rock. And we have that redeemer. And we know today his name is Jesus Christ. God's word is more valuable than anything on earth. God's word is more desirable than anything you can imagine in this life. What will you do about it? And I just want to keep encouraging you. 2017, fresh start. Let's do it. Let's, Let's move God's word up high on our priority list. And, you know, we have a reading plan in the program. We started it last week. The opportunity to look at the life of Jesus until Easter. That's all, that's all we're putting in the plan. It's until Easter. It's going to take, take you through the life of Jesus. And you can't go wrong if you're trying to figure out who Jesus is and what he's like, okay? And, and to desire what he wants for you. So 2017, God's word, a priority for us. Let's stand. Let's pray. Pause before you and we, uh, we thank you that you have given us the word and that we have it so freely in our country. Help us to raise the value of your word in our lives. Not to take it for granted, it's so easy to. Help us to invest time and make time to learn. Just day by day, even in small amounts. Thank you that your word nourishes our soul and feeds our heart, brings joy to the soul, and helps us in transformation as you work to help us to conform to the image of your Son. Thank you that you have communicated with us, that you've enabled us to have a relationship with you, that you uh, offer guidance and instruction for daily living, and the power of follow through. In Jesus' name, amen.